You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. What's going on, people? Welcome to Paint Points. As usual, I'm your host, Jay Painting. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the SB Nation Podcast Network and the Kana Supers family. Today, we are celebrating the re-signing of Jared Vanderbilt and Jordan McLaughlin. And we're going to get into some lineups and, and some lineups we want to see next season, some three-man lineups, five-man lineups. Just some, some strange stuff outside of the normal starters and bench kind of stuff. Joining me to do all of that is friend of the show, Canis Hoopers contributor, Jack Borman. What's going on, Jack? Not a whole lot, man. Um, I'm, deep in, I'm deep into the WNBA. Um, I, I'm hooked. <laughs> um, it's, it's, just been, it's just been really fun to follow the links and, and now kind of starting to get back into, into Timberwolves stuff too has been, has been really fun because, um, you know, the season now, believe it or not, is is just a little bit more than a month away. Um, I think the season starts like October 17th-ish, something like that. I don't, I don't have the date of the, of the first game memorized yet. But, um, but yeah, um, it, it's, it's right around the corner, and, and I'm really excited to, to, to watch some Wolves again. Yeah, so before we get into it then, give me a quick links update. I know that obviously you're doing heaps of good links stuff over at Canis Hoopus, um, going to the games, coverage, uh, so if you are into the links or you want to get into the links, obviously that's that's a really good place to start. I'm kind of on the borderline. I try and catch as many games as I can. It's it's hard over here in Australia. They obviously don't get the same coverage that, that the NBA does, which is shit. Uh, but uh, give me give me an update on how the season's going and what we should look forward to over the next you know month or two. Yeah. So so really, I mean, the, the season for the links has been kind of kind of torn apart by injuries. Um, you know, oh, what a surprise for a Minnesota <laughs> team. I know. I mean, um, you know, the first couple of games, they didn't have a full roster because some players were still completing their European assignments um, in, in the season over there. So Nafisa Collier, who's probably the second best player on the links, missed the first, you know, four games of the season. And so they started 0-4. Um, but I think everybody kind of knew that they weren't, you know, a last place team. And so they they really turned it around. Um, I think now they're 17-10 and 10 or 18-10 and 10 after last night. So they've They've gone 18 and six over their last 24 games. Um, and really, I mean, their defense has been phenomenal. The Lynx have the defensive player of the year this year, undoubtedly in Sylvia Fowles, who's probably the greatest um, center in the history of women's basketball. Um, just the way that she's able to um, to seal off defenders inside. And, and I've never seen somebody in person uh, with better post footwork than Syl. Um, just the way that she's able to, you know, to keep the ball or chest and higher and just quickly, you know, throw fakes, jabs, um, anything at defenders. And, and the way she's able to score inside is, is tremendous. So they play everything on offense through her, um, you know, and, and then they have two really versatile wings and Kayla McBride and Ariel Powers who are, who are fantastic on, on both ends of the ball. Um, 
And their point guard, Leija Clarendon, uh, is out right now with a, a stress reaction in their in their right fibula, um, in their shin, but, but they're expected to be back, um, you know, any, any game now. So the Lynx have, Lynx have three games, um, until the playoffs start. And so if they, if they win out, um, they'll be a four seed and get a first round buy. Um, and, and if Seattle loses, um, next weekend to, to Phoenix, um, you know, the Lynx could be the three seed and then, and then have a much easier matchup, um, in the second round, um, in that, in that second, you know, single elimination game. So, I mean, things to really look for over the course of the next month is just, um, you know, can they, can they really move the ball well on offense? I think that, you know, things kind of get sticky and, and the ball sticks and, uh, and players don't move around as well, especially when they're unable to get the ball into Sylvia fouls and collapse the defense. And so, um, you know, the, the more unselfish they can be, the more active they can be with and without the ball offensively will really determine how high they're going to, you know, ascend to because their, their defense is, right. is really phenomenal. So, um, but, but I've learned so much about, about basketball, about, um, you know, just covering a team about, um, you know, about female athletes, um, and transgender athletes, um, through covering the WNBA. And it's been, it's been awesome. Um, and the, and the product is incredible and, and the athletes are, are spectacular. So it's been, it's been a ton of fun and, and I'm super grateful that, um, you know, to the links for, for letting me be in in every game and, and doing all the media sessions, both in person and, um, you know, in person at games and at practices and, and on Zoom has been, has been phenomenal. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's been an awesome experience. I'm, I'm not ready for the, for the season to end. So I really hope that they, they kind of <laughs> go deep into the playoffs, um, over, over the course of the next three, four weeks or so. Um, but, but yeah, man, um, love the links and, and would really, really encourage anybody who gives even an ounce of a shit about the Timberwolves um, to check out the links because it's a phenomenal product. And in my opinion, the more that you watch the WNBA, the more you appreciate it, the more you enjoy it and love it. And that's definitely been the case for me. Um, and, and it's and the more you, I think the more you learn about basketball as well, like the fundamentals in the women's game is just so crisp. It, it really is a lesson every time I get to watch it. And I, I think... I'm like a, a casual fan in the truest sense just because I don't get to watch it enough and I haven't really dug into it as much as I guess I do. we do with the NBA. Um, but the fundamentals really stick out to me straight away and I love that as someone who's really like a basketball purist. You know, I, I love to, to watch the... I don't think the athleticism and stuff really matters in terms of, of spectacle of the game. I, I really just want to see that, that fundamental uh, passion and the fundamental technique that the girls have and... You you mentioned the, the the media side just before we move on the media side you you haven't just been lucky enough to cover it you've been lucky enough to be shouted out by Cheryl Reeve in press conferences like this is a star ascension that we're watching. <laughs> yeah, man, that that I you know I got to be honest that was that was one of the cooler things that that's ever happened to me not not just in a in a sense of of the time I've spent writing about about the the Lynx and Timberwolves but just in my life um, you know Cheryl Reeve is probably um, you know, not probably, she's the greatest coach in the history of, of women's professional basketball in the United States. Um, and, and she reads absolutely everything that is, that is written about, about the links. And so whether that's local or national, uh, and she's unafraid to, to call people out on their shit if they're wrong about something, or if she disagrees with a, with a take that someone says with their chest, she'll challenge you about it. Um, whether that's publicly in, in a, you know, media session that's recorded or, or once, um, once things kind of shift to being off the record, she'll, she'll still challenge you about it too. And so, um, 
to, to have that coming from someone like her, I think just means so much more because of that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's just really fulfilling to be able to cover the women's game because, um, the Lynx are the most successful franchise, um, in the, in the Minneapolis market by far. Um, and the amount of media coverage they get is pathetic in my opinion. And so, um, to know that there's so many Lynx fans that, that are dying to consume more coverage at Canisupis, um, and anywhere really, um, just, just makes what, you know, what I'm able to do that much more fun, um, because you know that there's a lot mm-hmm. of people that, that really appreciate it. And so, um, you know, I really hope that we can get more Lynx writers, um, at Canis next year. Um, I definitely think that that's something that's going to be an emphasis, um, just because I think that people have so much to learn uh, about the women's game. And, um, and there's so many Wolves fans that, that frankly need to stop wasting their time with the twins um, <laughs> because, uh, because the, the basketball that takes place at Target Center over the summer is an infinitely better product in terms of wins and losses um, than, than what you see with, with the Timberwolves. So um, please support the Lynx. Um, even if you, you turn on a game, stream it, whatever, um, everything helps. Um, so, so that's my, that's my link spiel, but, um, but yeah, you know, I'm definitely, definitely excited to, to be able to talk wolves and, and, and have some news to talk about. You know, I know the last few times oh, that we've been together, we haven't had much news to talk about. So, um, so it's fun. Yeah. So obviously, uh, Jared Vanderbilt coming back a three year, $14 million deal. I think the third year you, you'd, you'd be better at this than me. I think the third year has triggers that kind of, incentivize extra money um there might be a team option on the third year i know there definitely a there's a team op- option there is a team option on the third year and so the, the way that it's structured the the way that the way that i understand it is that um uh that there are there's a good number of what are called unlikely bonuses um in vanderbilt's contract based on what he based on the production that he's had um that don't count towards the salary cap. So he may hit those numbers um, and that may trigger the bonus. Um, and so he may get paid, you know, another two, $3 million over the course of the three-year contract, but um, but that won't affect the cap because it's an unlikely bonus. And that's something that you see more with guys who have had much smaller roles um, who are signing and a contract. as well. Yeah, smaller roles or who haven't played in as many games and, and been able to produce those numbers. Um you know, that's popular because then, um, you know, it could be something that's actually likely that Vanderbilt will hit that. But based on what he's done in the past in, in terms of the salary cap, um, it's considered unlikely and therefore doesn't count towards the salary cap. So um, really just a shrewd uh, move from the from the front office. Um, it's an extremely team friendly contract, uh, as is as is Jordan McLaughlin's. Um, and, and so to get both of them back and still have. Um, you know, about $874,000 underneath the luxury tax. Um, that's assuming that Balmero signs the rookie scale for this year. Um, it is, is big time. Um, you know, it just allows them to, you know, maybe bring a guy in during training camp if they want to. Um, you know, or it's just another, you know, $800,000 to play with when you're trying to make salary match in, uh, in a potential Ben Simmons trade. And when that, you know, salary matching game kind of comes into play, um, you know, $800,000 doesn't really sound like a whole lot in the grand scheme of things. But, um, you know, I mean, you've, we've all done it in the trade machine where you need to come up and manufacture, you know, another <laughs> million dollars or $500,000. Like, shit, this doesn't work. And, and you try and figure that out. <laughs> that $800,000 could, um, 
you know, could could end up being a, a mighty big, um, mighty big, you know, win for the Timberwolves. Yeah, and then I think that outside of the con- the the salary cap stuff, it's a win for the Timberwolves on the court as well. Like, uh, I don't need to ramble on about Vanderbilt anymore because I do every week that I think Vanderbilt is is genuinely one of the most important pieces on this roster just because of the versatility he brings defensively and he's, he's rebounding uh, Naus and the way that he fits alongside the star players even though he kind of doesn't seem like he does because he's not a guy who shoots the ball or anything like that. But uh, I'm huge on Vando. I think that at around, you know, four to five per year, that's a really, really good value. And then when you have D'Angelo Russell and you have Patrick Beverly, who both suffer injuries every season, like it's they're, they're long enough into their career now that you can almost pencil them in to miss 10 or 15 games every season. Uh, Jordan McLaughlin is a really, really good uh, third string point guard. Just we've seen it consistently through these last two seasons that when he comes in, he plays well. I mean, I think he had that, that down period towards the start of last season when he came back from COVID and um, it kind of messed him up a little bit. But I think towards the end of the season, when, when Chris Finch inserted him back into the rotation, he looked really good. Uh, Finch clearly loves him. The the interview with Britt Robson from the Athletic, which is just an awesome insight in, into Chris Finch. Uh, I think you one of the main things that stood out was that he really likes Jordan McLaughlin. I think multiple times he mentioned that he wants to give him a bigger role. And as much as I I don't know where that role kind of comes from, when one of those guys Beverly or or D'Angelo Russell aren't playing, there, there's a clear defined role for Jordan McLaughlin in it you know, just over $2 million a year with a team option on the third. That's that's a home run to me. Like, these are on-the-margin moves. They're not going to drop any jaws around the league. But there's a lot of teams out there that would have been all over Jared Vanderbilt had he not been a restricted free agent and had he been able to, to just get picked up off the market, you know, right, right at the start of that, that free agency period. And for Minnesota to... They dragged it out a little bit, but for them to really kind of hammer home their price and then get him at the right deal, I think that that's a that's a huge win. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think with McLaughlin too, um, you know, it's really important that that I think McLaughlin is much closer to to what Beverly can do offensively in the sense that rather than having someone like Rubio who just can't get to the rim at all, um, mm-hmm. you know, McLaughlin's somebody who, and we saw it at the end of. Uh, of the 2019-2020 season, um, you know, that he's really good at getting into the lane and and, and kind of maneuvering the baseline and, and kicking the ball out to shooters, whether it be in the corner or above the break or in the side pockets. Um, and that's something we've that, spoken about how yeah. we've spoken about how important that is for this team to be able to collapse the defense because they don't do it enough. It's one of the team's biggest problems is they don't get to the ring enough. Yeah. And so having somebody like J-Mac who can do that and, and you know, that you trust to run the offense. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the fact that Finch, who is much more of a tactician than, than Saunders and, and Prigioni are slash were, um, you know, that's big. That That's probably a sign that Jordan McLaughlin, you know, did really, really well in practice in terms of picking up in the shoot arounds too, in terms of picking up the offense and the concepts of what Finch wants to try to accomplish. Um, you know, and Finch, Finch did really, really well with the guards that he had in Toronto as well as in New Orleans. Um, and so I think that's something that, that's really important that Finch trusts and likes Jordan McLaughlin. Um, and like you said, with the injuries, I mean, that's, that's something that's inevitable, but even when they don't play, uh, or even when they, all of them are playing, um, 
you know, I still think McLaughlin can give you 10 to 15 minutes if he's the one that unlocks uh, a different lineup that you can throw at a certain team given on a, you know, based on a yeah. matchup or something like that. You know, if yeah. there's a bigger team that's a little bit slower, um, you know, I think McLaughlin could be a great option to throw in there. Um, you know, it might suffer on the defensive end of the floor, but if you can play zone or get away with that, I mean, he can really help you steal two, three minutes here or there over the course of a game. Um, and if he can do that, you know, two, three, four times a game, he's only playing, you know, eight, 10, 12 minutes a game. Um, but that stuff can add up. I mean, how many times did we see the Timberwolves lose games last season or two seasons ago because they just had a disastrous, you know, stretch from like the start of the fourth quarter to the nine minute mark or like yeah. two minutes left in the third quarter to like the 10 minute mark of the fourth quarter. I mean, those little stretches matter. Um, and if Jordan McLaughlin can really help you get get through those stretches and, and unlock different lineups, um, which is what we'll get into today, um, you know, I, it's it's a no brainer. Um, and, and to be able to to have someone like that on, on such a team friendly deal, um, you know, he's only making six point five million dollars over the, over, the, over the next three years, um, which is you know which is big time. Like that's less than what Jaden McDaniel's making on the rookie scale. So um, as what the twenty eighth pick last year. Um, so yeah. Yeah, so I, I think. Are you surprised that he signed that deal? I, I was very surprised. Um, you know, I'm not going to act like I, I know anybody on the inside, but um, but you know, in in what I had heard, whether that you know be from you know Twitter or whatever, um, it, it sounded to me like McLaughlin. It was a foregone conclusion that he was either gone or going to battle for like a training camp spot or. Uh, or something like that, just with the Patrick Beverly trade, because I would have mm-hmm. assumed that, you know, Beverly would have kind of been like a third string point guard and that Anthony Edwards would be the backup point guard and that whatever minutes you would have normally given to a third point guard, um, you know, McKinley Wright could have could have taken because yeah. McKinley Wright was phenomenal in summer league, uh, especially on the defensive end of the floor, which I think is really, really important. Um, but but yeah, I mean, you know, maybe McKinley Wright doesn't make um or makes Josh Okogie less less useful uh, than Jordan McLaughlin would just because of the way that McLaughlin's still able to shoot. I still, I mean, I I don't have the number in front of me, but I'm pretty sure McLaughlin shot damn near close to forty percent on catch and shoot threes, you know, over the last yeah, two seasons. Um, so, so having someone like that, I think, can help unlock more bench players, and that was something that I probably underestimated, um, and is something that I've thought a lot more about in the last uh, in the last twenty four hours, really, since he's been signed. Um, so. Yeah, man, I, I'm excited to see him back. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of J-Max, um, especially I, in the role that he's played. Um, I feel bad for him in the sense that, you know, I think everybody kind of everybody kind of says, you know, I wish that we could give McLaughlin more minutes. I wish he had a bigger role. I wish another team would pay him, this, that, and the other thing, because he's really been very good in what they've asked him to do. It's just unfortunate that, you know, the way the dominoes have fallen across the league that um, – you know, it just hasn't worked out necessarily financially um, until until now. I mean, if you want to call this this working out financially, and the two it's the two way contracts just are not team and not player friendly at all. Like you, as soon as you sign one of those two way contracts, you kind of go into that cycle where you're in a, you're a restricted free agent. You can obviously sign a deal like this, but to get to another team and to maybe get a, a deal with a bigger role that, that I think we both think McLaughlin deserved, it, it just becomes impossible because the team, the Timberwolves just own his rights and and can match any contract for the last two seasons now. And I guess he probably could have 
signed a qualifying offer. I'm not sure if he could have done that, but like he, then he potentially loses, you know, five million or whatever that that he just made. So, he could have, yep. So anytime you're a restricted free agent, you can sign a you can sign a yeah yeah. Um, and that you know, it's just been hard. I don't think he's been kind of desperate to leave the Timbers. I think that he obviously would be grateful for that this is the team that gave him this chance. But at the end of the day, I think that if he wasn't a restricted free agent, that he probably would have landed somewhere else in an actual backup point guard role. And that could have given him the springboard to, to you know, maybe make eight, nine million dollars in, in two or three years uh, with a mid-level exception with a couple of years of, of good play for another team as, as someone who gets 15, 20 minutes every single night. So I do feel sorry for him in that sense. I think that he's been one of the main guys who's really been caught in that two-way carousel um and, and can't get off it but but at the end of the day he also just made six million dollars so you know i'm happy about that um i think that he'll get enough chance to prove that this won't be his last nba contract and and yeah i, ho- I hope it isn't because he seems like a really good dude and he seems like a, a guy who can help any team so yeah, I'm, and- I'm i'm wrapped about all of these the, both of these deals i think they're really good yeah, I mean, and I've never, I have never once in my life heard anybody say a bad thing about Jordan McLaughlin, whether that <laughs> yeah. be as a dude, as a player, um, any, anything. I mean, I think you see it on social media, like, um, you know, all these people are coming out and just saying how excited and happy they are for him. Um, it's, it's just really cool to see, um, and is and is something that um, is something as a fan. I think just just makes you smile uh, because of. Yeah. because of, of what that what that probably means to him as a guy that you know doesn't play all that much um so yeah i i think that at the end of the day these moves are just high reward low risk like if if the worst case happens and both these guys are unplayable next season then you really haven't invested too much money into them i mean we saw Juancho Hernan Gomez not play very big minutes and probably not deserve very very big minutes at the end of last season well for the entire season and he was still pretty easily moved at the end of the day he ends up bringing Patrick Beverly back to to Minnesota so these these deals are movable and they're even more movable than than Wancho and I think they're both better players than Wancho so um yeah big tick on both of those let's let's take a quick break we've gone on a little bit longer than we thought on this first bit but we'll take a quick break then we'll do the, the lineup stuff Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we are back, and we will pivot a little bit now to just some some looking into the future for the Timberwolves. Um, we've both got two five-man lineups that we want to talk about. Uh, they're not 
specifically, you know, the starters or the bench. Like, they're just lineups that we want to see. And then we'll talk about one three-man pairing that we're excited to see on the court together throughout the season. Uh, I'll start with you. Let's let's hear your first five-man lineup, and we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah, so, so my five-man lineup... Um here uh, is kind of a lineup that I think we're going to see if D'Angelo Russell misses time. Um, but even if D'Angelo Russell doesn't miss time, I still think that this would be a good one to a good one to use for Minnesota because we saw how effective D'Angelo Russell was with the second unit last year. Um, and I, my personal hope for the Wolves in terms of how their roster structure is is that Malik Beasley is coming off the bench, um, mm-hmm. and so. We saw a lot of times in our Chris Finch that D'Angelo Russell was the first guy to, to leave the court um, and, and then would then immediately play with the two. So this is kind of a scenario in which that would happen. Um, so you'd have Pat Bev at the one or Anthony Edwards at the one, either way. Um, and then the other one would play the two. Then you'd have McDaniels at the three, Vanderbilt at the four, and and Cat at the five. Um, so the five-man lineup, would be Bev, Ant, Jaden, uh, Vando, and Towns. Um, so that's the best combination of defenders that Minnesota can put out on the court. I think while staying competitive offensively. That's kind of what my thought was. In that you know the cat in in Ant two man pairing last year under Finch was just lethal, um, and, and the fact that you could really let those two kind of cook. Um, while also getting Cat out in space a lot more. Because if you can get Cat out in space at the level a lot more and, and having Vando play almost you know, perimeter defense only in that type of lineup um, mm-hmm. and, and then have McDaniels as, as your kind of backside rotating four def- from a defensive standpoint, um, I, I think that would be really interesting. Um, you know, I, I think that... I mean, I, I mean, I think that Jaden McDaniels is a better perimeter defender than he is interior defender. At least that's kind of what he projects to, even though I think he's been a better interior defender on the backside thus far in his career. Um, but functionally, I mean, obviously Vanderbilt is a better perimeter defender than he is an interior defender. And if he can move his feet and stay with guys in the drive and kind of force them into to Cat or, or Jaden rotating, um, you know, I think that that lineup is, is, would defend the pick and roll really, really well. Um, and it's also athletic enough to a point where, you know, these guys can successfully X out. They can all stunt and recover. I mean, I don't know necessarily where Ant's stunt and recoverability is going to be on the defensive end of the floor. You know, is he going to be able to help at the nail and then flare back out to the, you know, the side pocket to, to defend a three or close out to prevent a guy from driving by him? I don't know. He's only, what, 19 years old, 20 years old? You know, he's got time to kind of work through some of that. And if you have, you know, three other really, really good defenders and and Cat, who, who, you know, I think largely how good of a defense he is, is or how good at defense he is, is reflective of the other guys around him. I think he would be, you know, very solid. It would allow him to play more to his strengths in that lineup. Um, and then, you know, offensively, you've got, the Cat and two-man pairing, Patrick Beverly, who's a great catch-and-shoot guy, McDaniels, who's going to be a catch and, a good catch-and-shoot guy and hopefully good kind of secondary attacker off the dribble, um, and then having Vando to rim run, and it would allow you know Cat to be more on the perimeter um, and, and allow Vando to kind of man that dunker spot and just fly to the rim and put pressure on the rim, um, which I think is valuable with a guy like Ant out there. I love I love this lineup. I honestly love it. I, I know that... Uh... 
because of contract, because of what he can do offensively, because of the stature he has within the franchise that D'Angelo Russell has to be your starter. And I believe that he can do that very well. But like the balance in this Beverly, Edwards, McDaniels, Vanderbilt, Towns lineup is just really nice. I mean, it's the best that you can get. Like you said, like you, you touched on kind of all the points that, that I think come to mind straight away is that Anthony Edwards effectively through the last 15, 20, 30 games was a point guard in general. I mean, they they got... they Yeah, they, they got him to play the point guard and, you know, the the way that they... The other guys just brought the ball up the court, like is what I'm trying to stumble out here. Um, and when when you have a point guard like Beverly, who whose job it has been to bring the ball up the court and then get the ball to a star's hand for the, for his entire career, like you, you, you Paul George, you Kawhi Leonard, um, James... Uh, did he play with James Harden? I think he did, but like... Pat, Pat Bev? Um, yeah. Yeah, Pat Be- Yeah, he never played yeah, with like, Chris Paul. He was trading the Chris Paul trade, but he played with James Harden. Yeah, so that, so this is about to... Like, that's, that's what he do- has always done. So Anthony Edwards, that's no different to him. Um, you get the ball to Ant, you let him be the point guard. Like you said, the cat and, and Ant two-man game is really good. And then you have shooters around them. And, and I think we've seen that the, the offense can survive with Van, with Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt out there. Like, it can survive with a dunk-to-spot rim roller kind of guy as long as you have shooters around that and you have guys that can that can penetrate the lane and get those little dump-off passes to Vando. So... I mean, I love it on offense. Obviously, on defense, like I said, there's there's no, there hasn't been a lineup, or there isn't a lineup com- combination that projects to be as balanced as this one. Um, Beverly allows Towns to play up at the level because he can actually get through screens, and then Towns doesn't have to stay up at the level. Doesn't have to be blitzes or switches. It can just be a quick show and then recover because you have Beverly there to to you know, get through that screen and to and to provide point of attack, a, a point of attack blockade kind of, and allow Towns to just get out there for a second, stop the the original ball handler from getting downhill straight away, and then get back to that roll man. And then, like you said, you have Vando and McDaniel's kind of either one of those two patrolling the backside as a kind of sweeper. And like you said, I really I really like Vanderbilt as a perimeter defender. Um, obviously, he's he's big enough to get inside and you want him close enough to the ring where he can affect the rebounding. But McDaniels, as there's no... he had, I don't think he has a better skill right now than rotating and blocking shots. I mean, he does a lot of things that we really like well, but I think in terms of his number one asset, it's the ability to make up ground defensively Who is this? from you the corner. McDaniels? Yeah, yeah. McDaniels. Uh, to make up ground from the corner or or from a dunker spot, and to, to block a shot at the rim, and to do it multiple times, you know, in one play, to, to rotate, you know, affect the shot, get back out if there's an offensive rebound, do it again, like, he's got really good um, ability to cover ground and to, to get off the ground really quickly, so um, that is, that's my favourite thing about Vanderbilt, and, uh, so that's my favourite thing about McDaniels, and when you have McDaniels and Vanderbilt together, those two really form like a, a dominant defensive partnership, I think, and that's so strange to say um, from a Minnesota perspective because they it just doesn't it just doesn't happen on this team. Like there isn't there's probably only four defenders on the team, and one of them is Josh Okogie, and one of them's 
Jared Vanderbilt, and it's really hard to get those two on the tour together. So uh, I think it's hard to to put all four on the tour together, but this is the best scenario where you can get three of them on the tour and still kind of keep your balance offensively. Yeah, I mean, I think that something that's really important too is that, um, you know, among, you know, two-man pairings with Vanderbilt last year, the most that he played was with Ricky Rubio. Uh, and then second most he played um, was with Anthony Edwards on a, on a per-game basis. Like, to- in totality, he played more with Ant. Um, but in terms of just how the, the uh, rotations were structured, you know, that was that was how it was. But under Finch, he played much more with Edwards than he did with Rubio. So two of the three, you know, pairings, you know, and then so let me start over. So Vanderbilt and Edwards, that, that's the number one pairing in terms of Vanderbilt's pairings with Finch. He played the most with Ant. He played the second most with, with Ricky Rubio and he played the third most with Cap. He had an offensive rating of 111 with Ant and 112 with Cap. And he had a he had an offensive rating of 104 with Ricky Rubio. So he had a very <laughs> positive net rating with Cat, net rating of 5 across 470 minutes, which is not an insignificant sample at all. And then in 739 minutes, he had a net rating of almost 2 with with Anthony Edwards. Like that those are not insignificant numbers. In Jared in in the you know, really crucial part of Jared Vanderbilt is I think everybody's kind of seen him as like this, you know, kind of pie in the sky idea that's like better in theory than he is in actuality. But a lot of the numbers that, you know, that are meant to measure his impact while playing alongside other players and measure the fit that he has with them um, functionally have been very, very positive. Um, and, and I think a lot of that has to do with with the way that his skills complement the other players too. But I think a lot of it has to do with Chris Finch and that Chris Finch played these guys together more. And I think early on without really getting a chance to know these guys well in practice or, or in a full training camp for, for instance, like, you know, he, he really understood the way to use Jared Vanderbilt and, and understood that quickly. Uh, and now with a full off season, you know, with Vando to talk to him, kind of envision how his role is going to be in a more, you know, in-depth defined offense that Finch is going to install, um, I, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if these numbers climbed even higher um, because we all know what he's going to bring to the table defensively on the glass. Um, I think it's just a matter of, you know, how impactful can, you know, how impactful can, um, you know, can he be offensively? But with someone like Finch, I think that you're going to see uh, him place Vanderbilt in spots on the floor where he can be successful offensively. He's not going to be asked to do a whole lot, but he can still kind of pressure the defense and collapse the defense um, while, while doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, we'll, we'll move on to another one. You'll, you'll hear a quick little break in this in this because our Zoom is about to end, but I'll kind of restart this Zoom and then we'll, we'll get back into the next ones because I think that that... To me, that's probably my favorite lineup the Timberwolves can put out there. Like, I don't think it will be their most used, but I think that's my favorite lineup. It felt um, good when that I said That is one it. of the ones. Yeah, it felt good <laughs> coming off the fingers. Um, sure did. But yeah, um, let's get into my one. We'll, we'll just take a tiny little break. You won't hear anything on the recording, but but we'll be back in a second. Okay, so my first one is... Well, I know I said at the start that we're, I'm not going to go to the starters, but I think this one needs to be discussed is that is the D'Angelo Russell 
Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniels, Jared Vanderbilt, and Carl Anthony Towns lineup. I think unless they are going to go with Malik Beasley as a starter, I think that has to be like that has to be the the lineup. I don't I don't see a way in which Malik Beasley starting is tenable. And that's not a, a knock on Malik Beasley per se. I just think that that I wrote about this the other day that his strengths are they magnify and they amplify what this team's strengths are, but his weaknesses are exactly what this team's weaknesses are. And like you can't keep amplifying your own weaknesses. Not when you have other options in your arsenal in terms of Jared Vanderbilt, who we just spoke about his numbers with with the star players and what he can do defensively to to help Cat and to help Ant and to help D'Angelo Russell. Like unless unless I, I understand the the theory that maybe you go all out on offense and I think that Finch has even said we can maybe go that full offense lineup. But I just think that like it's cannibalizing the offense to begin with because Malik Beasley's not getting in enough shots as maybe he wants and then or he's taking shots off Carl Anthony Towns or Anthony Edwards or Russell. And then defensively it's a mess. There is no way in hell that lineup can can survive defensively. Not even if Carl Anthony Towns takes a leap, not even if Anthony Edwards takes a leap, I don't think. You, you can't have four below average defenders or if you want to count Towns as an average defender, you can't have four of those on a court, not for, you know, 12, 15 minute stretches for a not for an entire game. So, yeah, I want to see I want to see Vanderbilt in that um in that unit. Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell, and Tarleton Towns, obviously they're all in there. And then and you're not going to be great defensively. Um we spoke about this earlier, but if you go onto, you know, basketball index, they have a a lineup creator where it kind of gives you the, the percentiles and they have their defensive LeBron metric, which is pretty much just like a defensive, you know, plus minus kind of kind of all in one metric. That lineup of Russell Edwards, McDaniels, Vanderbilt Towns ranks out in the 54th percentile defensively so you you're not going to be a great defensive team but but we know that this team wants to be kind of average or 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 middle of the pack defensively and that's what that is you you still have the like D'Angelo Russell's in the zeroth percentile zeroth I don't know if that's how you say it but you know he's He's in the the worst defensive percentile you can be in. Anthony Edwards is in the second percentile, but then you get Jaden McDaniels in the eighty fifth, Jared Vanderbilt in the ninety eighth percentile, and then Tarleton Towns, who's in the seventy ninth in terms of defensive LeBron. So, like you balance it out with with that McDaniels Vanderbilt pairing, and I think like we spoke about in that last lineup, um, they can cover a lot of holes and put out a lot of fires defensively. Uh, so. If you have those two, I think you can you can unleash that three headed monster kind of and let let Towns and Edwards play their two man game, let Towns and Russell play their two man game, and then still have have two defenders in there. Yeah, and I think a big thing with Malik Beasley is that um, you know Malik Beasley is a really really excellent transition player, and um, mm-hmm. that your offense is going to suffer if you can't get stops and get out and run in transition and get easy buckets where Malik Beasley can be you know, arguably his most lethal. Um, and so I, I just don't see a lineup with Russell and Beasley, McDaniels or Vando and Cat. Um, I, I just don't see how that lineup does anything to help you defensively. Um, I can't look, I can't think of a situation in which, you know, 
it, it's ideal to have all five of those players out there on the same time on the floor at the same time for an extended period of time. Um, you know, and and I don't. Yeah, you think- can mix them. You can mix them all four in and weave them through lineups, and it will work because good offensive players and good shooters are important. But you can't have all four. No, I I I, I completely agree with that. Uh, I mean. And Malik Beasley, too, like you said, you don't want it to be an untenable situation with him. But I really don't think that Malik Beasley is going to be cool coming off the bench for a whole season. Um, yeah. No, this is the guy who had his hands raised in the air calling for the ball when Anthony Edwards was dunking on Yuta Watanabe. Um, it's a guy who, when he doesn't get the ball, sulks, um, looks dejected, is visibly pissed off when he doesn't get the ball. Um and the team's, you know, three most high usage players are all going to be playing significantly more minutes this season because all of them are going to be fully healthy and playing together. Um, and so, you know, that's why with the whole Malik Beasley thing, um, you know, I, I, he's a phenomenal shooter and all of his teammates seem to really like him, which I think is great. But, um, but you know, I just, I just worry that he's more of an anchor than, um, than somebody that can, can really balloon this team. Uh, and especially when you look at it in the context of a starting lineup, I think when you put him out there with the bench, like getting a lineup of like D'Lo, him, uh, a Kogi, Prince, and Nas, like I think that would be something that would be interesting as as a lineup, you know, that can still allow Malik Beasley to be kind of an offensive engine, um, rather than being the fourth guy in a lineup with with the big three. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I just think Malik Beasley has so much more value to this team coming off the bench and that he'll, you know, have much more freedom to do what he wants offensively if he's coming off the bench. Um, and completely agree with your point in that, you know, you, you can still mix and match any of those guys. I mean, I, I understand that like you want to hear the allure of like getting introduced as a starter every night, but, but I mean, at the end of the day, like you got to look in the mirror and do what's best for the team. Um, and, I, and I definitely think that starting lineup that you laid out of, of Russell, Ant, McDaniels, Vanderbilt, and Towns um, by far makes the most sense to me uh, of any type of starting lineup that, um, that that you can bring together. I think the only thing that, because I agree, I think that, that Beasley, the dynamic between Beasley and the, and his personality and, and trying to convince him to be that bench player is, is a really under the radar problem at the moment um and i hope that they don't try and solve that by just making him a starter um to kind of keep everything kumbaya but i think that maybe well i I don't know but but i'm asking you i guess is do you think that giving him the the you're a sixth man you're going to get a 20 percent usage coming off the bench rather than a 15 percent usage starting do you think that could kind of quell any of those concerns uh, in terms of you know him him not getting enough of the ball because in theory he will get more shots or at least get more responsibility to be a kind of offensive engine like you said if he's playing more minutes with the bench guys. Yeah, I mean I sure hope so um, because maybe I'm just being uh, maybe I'm being kind of hopeful wishful thinking. Yeah, I mean I also just think that like. At the end of the day, like being a starter is something that you can say, like, "Hey, I'm a starter." Like, yeah, that's a legitimate qu- like qualm that like a lot of people have, um, especially like these younger guys who like 
are trying to, you know, make make their money. Like Malik Beasley already has a contract. So he's already proven that and he's already, you know, earned what the market has has, you know, calculated out his value to be, which is great for him. Like good for him. Get secure the bag. I'm I'm all for it. But like now that you have that, like you've really got to like do what's best for the team. And mm-hmm. you can't still have And you'll get paid again. You'll get paid again if you prove that you can be a guy who can help yeah, like, like look at what, like look like Montrez before Montrez just had like the worst playoffs ever. Like people thought he could get like close to a hundred million dollars over four years, and I'm not <laughs> saying that like he's gonna be like the sixth man on on one of the best teams in the NBA. I'm not saying that, but you know the value is just gonna continue to rise and rise and rise um, for someone that that's an elite shooter and can do all the things that he can do. Um, you know, it's a premium in this league and to do it off the bench uh, and be able to be that spark plug every night is big. And, and I hope that he realizes that. Um, and if he does, then I think that, you know, a lot of Wolves fans, myself included, will will have to kind of come around on the idea of him being able to be a really like useful, positive player. But, um, you know, you can talk about the offense all you want to, but like Malik Beasley's defense lost the Timberwolves probably three or four games last year. And just mm-hmm. like being at the wrong place, lack of effort, um, you know, not communicating uh, in, in the last two minutes of games and like having like making a shot is great. But if you're out of position and you give up a layup, the next possession, like doesn't do anything to help. And, and you got to be able to string stops together. And since Malik Beasley has been in Minnesota, um, you know, in part to no fault of his own because of injuries and whatnot, but, but the, it's proved the Timberwolves have proven that it is more difficult for them to string stops together when Malik Beasley is on the floor. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe that changes with, with having, you know, Vanderbilt and, and McDaniels out there, maybe Pat Bev. Um, but, but that's just how I see it right now. Um, I, I think Malik Beasley is a negative player uh, because his defense is that bad in my opinion. Um but I think and he's finishing that, at the rim as well. That's that's I think the thing that goes underrated is that he's just a really bad like he, he's a really bad finisher at the rim. He's got he's myopic when he gets a, a step on guys. He can't and do anything can't off the dribble. Make, yeah, if you can't, and, and I know that we don't expect you know shooters in general to be like this this force from outside the arc and from inside the arc, or else they'd be much better players. They wouldn't just be classified as as shooters. But I think the problem as well is that he doesn't make the right pass. Um, and he's always looking to get to the rim. He he has no craft around the rim. It's all just kind of crash and bash, try and jump through guys or over guys, you know, and, and it's never really any sort of craft or finesse around the rim. And, and that just like he, I, I wrote it in my article the other day. I don't have it in front of me, but I think like on on plays that NBA.com just like uh, described as driving layups, he shot 18 of 59 last season, which is 30%. So... Like, their shots that should be 60% shots probably at minimum, at least half of those have to go in. Like, 30%, I don't have the, the entire list in front of me, but it would be one of the worst in the entire league. So, like, that that's the stuff that just, it kills you, man. If you can't put rim, rim pressure on and you can't defend while one guy's on the court, you're in trouble, man. The shooting be damned. Yeah, and I think it was funny. I don't know who I saw put something out on Twitter, but I saw it out on Twitter that, Someone put like Malik Beasley's shooting percentages off the dribble or on pull up jumpers or something like that, trying to make a case that like, you know, he's a guy that like has some wiggle and can create his own shot. When in reality, it's just like him 
catching the ball, taking like one dribble to his left yeah. and stepping back, which counts as a pull-up jumper. Like, is that valuable? Yeah, hell yeah, it's valuable. But like, we're kidding ourselves if like that's the same type of like pull-up jump shooting that like Kevin Durant's doing or like, yeah, you know, somebody that, that's actually Tatum breaking somebody down, creating their own space, you know, on a drive into the mid-range or something like that. Like, it's just totally different. Um, and I think Malik Beasley would have a lot more value if like, if his handle was good enough to the point where they could use him in pick and roll or in handoff situations and, and they could trust him mm-hmm. to make the right read, but like, he, he's just not there. Um, you know, I don't know if that's a function of him not really playing a whole lot with the ball in his hands just over the course of his career in the NBA because of his role. Maybe that's something that he can grow into, um, because he's still a young player, uh, and, and hasn't played as, as like a, a starter, a big minute guy for, for much at all of his career. Um, so, you know, hopefully he still has some room to grow in that department, but, but yeah, man, um, you know, it's, it's just, he's, he's a limited offensive player. Um, but, but man, I mean, in saying that in what he can do, he is elite, elite, elite. Like I think Malik Beasley is probably one of the like 10, 12 best shooters in the NBA. Um, yeah. just like when you get him in a standstill or in a catch and shoot, like he's, phenomenal and like we're saying all this like Malik Beasley's a limited offensive player um yada 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 like whatever but at the end of the day like who cares about guys being hurt and whatnot like Malik Beasley this last year averaged 19 and a half points a game he's a 40 percent shooter from three like so if maybe if he cleans up that you know finishing around the rim maybe we can see him get over 20 points a game um you know, especially if he's in more of that bench engine role that you know that we've talked about, um, or where you can have that kind of higher usage rate of closer to like, I don't know, like twenty, twenty two percent, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, what's your second five man lineup? So my second five man lineup um, is kind of another one of these like bridge lineups to the bench, where like you don't have a full fresh five coming in, um, but this is one that that again is one where you have, you know, Russell exiting the floor right away then to come back in a little bit earlier. Um, so in this scenario, you have Russell as your point guard, Beasley as your, uh, Beasley as your shooting guard, Torian Prince as your, as your three, uh, Jared Vanderbilt as your four and Nas Reed as your five. Um, and so what's interesting about this is that this lineup is really, really poor at getting to the rim. I'll just start off saying that right away. Very poor at getting to the rim. Um, but what excites me about this type of lineup is that the spacing in this lineup is actually really good. Um, you know, D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, Torian Prince are all excellent, excellent spot-up shooters. Um, and Nas Reed is a matchup problem for a lot of centers. He can take guys off the dribble, as is Jared Vanderbilt. Like, both of those guys in the handoff game um, would be really valuable weapons. Um, and, and both of those guys too have shown proficiency in being able to, to roll or rise in horn sets. And I think be able, being able to run a horn set with, with Russell, Vanderbilt and Nas, um, while having Beasley and Prince in the corner, um, I think is something that they could have a lot of value off the bench. Um, and that's something where you don't necessarily need to get to the rim to put pressure on the rim. Um, because those two things are not the same, in my opinion. You, know, you have, you know, yeah. two huge physical guys like Nas and Nas and Vando um, that can 
that can roll down the rim and kind of collapse a defense just enough to for for D'Lo to 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 get enough daylight to throw a rocket pass to a corner um, to two really good spot up shooters. I think that that's something that that is totally doable. Um, and even you could see some some Vanderbilt Nas pick and roll too, where Vanderbilt's handling the ball um, because I I think that. You know, Chris Finch has talked about expanding Jared Vanderbilt's role, um, and they want to get him to try and work on things offensively. And, you know, he's got a really, really good handle for someone his size. Um, and, and I think he's got to work on that playmaking a little bit. I think that would be something I'd be interested in seeing um, more off the bench, maybe in blowout games or in practice or in, or in the preseason a little bit. Um, and if he's able to do that, man, um, that, that could be really, really fun to have Russell Beasley and Prince as spot-up shooters in that, in that type of situation. I just think it can create some, some interesting mismatches um, given, you know, given the right play calls, which, which I think Finch has obviously you know, proven that he can, he can play the right notes. Yeah, like you said, I think it's the perfect bridge lineup. It's, I don't want to see five-man bench lineups really this season. Like I, I, I hate hockey substitutions, and, and you know, I think that there's too many good players on this team or good offensive engine-type players and too many guys who who need to get, you know, 25-plus minutes for there to be full bench lineups. And I think this is the perfect kind of way to bridge that gap with with Russell in there and, and Vanderbilt if he's a starter, but then Beasley as well, and, and you get minutes into Nas and Prince. I mean, the one thing that I that came to my mind when I read when you sent me this lineup is that I love D'Angelo Russell and Nas Reed together, man. I think that they are the best pick-and-roll combination on the team. I know that Cat is obviously a better pick-and-pop and just a better scorer in general to have alongside Russell, but I don't think anyone on the team rolls like Nas and can can take the ball in stride and can can use that that fancy footwork and kind of little Euro steps and, and, and side steps while he's in full motion to and then finish softly. I think that's that's Nas Reed's kind of best attribute is the way he, he uses his feet and the way he finishes around the rim. So uh, that with Russell is really good. And then you have Vanderbilt who can also run pick and roll and, and might be the second best role man and probably the only pick and roll lob threat on the team. So having two guys that, that enhance Russell's passing ability and his pick and roll playmaking ability um, – that's really important to me because I think that that's what this team has lacked in terms of kind of facilitating D'Lo and and giving him the tools that he needs to be as successful as he was in, in Brooklyn. Um, and then, like you said, you, you you get those two surrounded by Beasley and Prince and then Russell as well after he's got, got rid of the ball back as a shooter. That's You get pressure valves everywhere. And I think Nas and... Vando are both pretty good short roll passes. Um, and I just think you pick and roll teams to death with, with that lineup, along with, like you said, like with those horn sets. Um, you get those horns cross sets where they kind of, one of the horns sets a, a screen for the other to kind of come off that screen, and, and then you can go straight into a pick and roll from there. Um, I really like it. I really think that that has a lot of dangerous, I think, you know, dangerous tendencies to that to that lineup. I don't think they'll be very good defensively, but. Like it's it's tough to make a team to make a five man lineup for this Timberwolves team that is good defensively outside of probably the two that we've given you already. Like there's just not that many options. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And again, like the the biggest thing with a lot of these lineups, especially with um, with bench guys being mixed in, is it's about like stealing minutes here and there. Like 
Yeah. The Timberwolves should not be playing the same lineups like the same. If, if everybody was healthy over the course of an 82 game season, the Timberwolves should not have the same lineup, the same rotation every game. Um, mm-hmm. even if it's like within a minute or two guys coming out, this, that, whatever, like all of this stuff needs to be matchup dependent. And like a huge part of coaching in the NBA is trying to put together a rotation plan based on a certain matchup where you can, you know, where you can give guys, you know, three, four minutes together where you can try and create some mismatches, whether that be offensively or, um, or throw different looks at, at guys defensively because zone probably works better with some personnel on the floor than, than a different personnel. Um, and I think a lineup like this, like you said, allows you to really pick and roll a team for, for three, four minutes. Um, and also, you know, could allow you to play some zone for, for two, three mm-hmm. minutes and just kind of junk up a game and steal three, four, five, six points here or there. Um, and again, I, I think that the value of adding guys like Prince and Beverly, th- this is not just running it back, in my opinion. Yeah. You replaced three guys who, in my opinion, actively tanked like the good things of what the wolf like of what the wolves have done. Um and brought in two guys who can really, really help what they want to do. Um like really, really, really help get them to do more of what they want to do. Um and and I think that it, it really shows in these kind of bridge lineups where you've got you know, a couple from the starters or three starters and two bunch guys or whatever it is, just into kind of intra squad, um, you know, kind of intra, you know, lineup rotations uh, is just something that, that I think you're going to see a ton of and that Finch, in my opinion, has shown that he's smart enough to be able to do effectively. And that's why some of these lineups and kind of ideating that uh, is most exciting to me. Well, at least you have a... a a personality and uh, a style in place uh, when you, you know, with these new players in, in rather than your Culvers and your Wancho. Like, if this is a lineup with Culver instead of Prince and Wancho instead of Vanderbilt, like, like what's the identity of that lineup? At least this one can shoot the ball and it can, and it can play pick and roll. Like, at least it has two things that it know, that you know it can do. When Culver's on the floor, that just messes everything up because you, you can't do either of those things. You can't space the floor because there's a helper coming off the corner or there's a guy kind of, you know, sitting in the gap of those passes because no one's respecting his shot. And he's not going to sit in the dunker spot like Vanderbilt is or be able to play as a role man like Vanderbilt is. Like, you just can't add anything offensively. Now you've got Tori and Prince, who you can't leave in the corner. And if you do, that's an open three. Like, at least this gives these these junk-up lineups a bit of identity. And and that's important because if you're going to try and steal minutes, like you said, at least you can steal them playing the way that the team wants to play rather than steal them by just throwing out this, this random lineup that really does nothing in terms of what the team's overall identity is. So I like it. I like it, man. Um, all right. So give me your favorite three-man lineup. I don't think it needs to be like you know, the the best lineup or the one that's going to score the most points or get the most stops? Like, just what do you want to see in terms of a three-man kind of combination? I want to see Patrick Beverly, Josh Okoge, and Jaden McDaniels. Um, Talk about chaos. Yeah, I mean, the reason for that is that, you know, the Timberwolves have never really been able to put lineups out there where, like, they're definitely the better defensive team. Um, really in the last couple of seasons. And I think that with that type of three-man group, um, you definitely, 
have the best defensive trio on the floor, given that that's yeah. it's probably playing against a bench lineup. Um, you know, it's not something that uh, it's not something that's going to light the world on fire offensively. But but someone like Patrick Beverly, I mean, is so different from Ricky Rubio in that he can really shoot the ball and he's willing to shoot the ball from deep, uh, and he has athleticism to get to the rim, um, which I think makes Josh Okogi a lot more, you know, usable. Uh, and, and two, like no matter what center you have on the floor, they can shoot. Uh, and so, you know, maybe around that three man lineup, you know, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. Like, you know, you could have another shooter like Malik Beasley out there playing with this group, or yeah. you could yeah. have, you know, another big shooter in like Torian Prince, who's a competent defender, but also a really, you know, decent shooter. Um, or you could have ants out there you know if ant's grown and he can really guard threes and you can have ant kind of run the show um maybe with cat or Nas just running pick and roll or something um where a kogi can you know drive or excuse me a kogi can can really cut when the defense is collapsed or a kogi has really in mcdaniels both of them got a lot better at kind of cutting from the slot to break down the backside of the defense for a shooter to be there um on a ball reversal um, which kind of works effectively like a hammer screen. Um, so I just think that there's a lot of things that you can do there um, offensively, which wasn't the case with Rubio, while still being able to, to dominate the perimeter defensively in an ideal world. Yeah, well, that's the per- I think that's the perfect lineup for an Anthony Edwards or a Malik Beasley because like, you can hide one of those guys if you have three really good defenders on there. Um, that's the reason why... Minnesota haven't been able to hide their bad defenders is because when you surround a bad defender with two or three other ones, you can't just hide one guy. Like someone's going to get picked on, and the NBA is just has just become such a, a switching, you know, pick on a pick on a bad defender kind of league that you just can't survive if you can have two or three or four guys get picked on in any one lineup. Like that's what we spoke about with the starting lineup that would have Malik Beasley in it. It just doesn't work. So. If you have Pat Bev, Josh Okoji, who are both not only really good perimeter defenders, but switchable as well. Like one of them can guard the the point of attack guy, one can guard the best, uh, you know, off ball or secondary ball handler guy, and then you have Vanderbilt who can guard a big, or I uh, sorry McDaniel, sorry who can guard a big or a small or a wing guy. Um, you just have so much versatility defensively, and then around that, I think you just drop, like if you just drop Towns and Beasley in there. All of a sudden, you've got three-point shooters everywhere and defenders everywhere. Like again, it's it's a really really balanced lineup. Um, I'm really curious to see what Josh Okogie's role is this season because I think that with more shooters on the on the team and, and him being, I think the only non-shooter along with Vanderbilt, as long as he's not in lineups with Vanderbilt, I think that Okogie can be the best version of himself this season, especially if they have him, if they use him a little bit like they did at the end of last season as kind of a, a screener and a, and a cutter and an offensive rebounder. Um, I don't know. I, I really think that, that Josh has the potential to have his best season yet, even if he doesn't improve at all, like just just in terms of, of context around him. Yeah, no, I think that that's a really good point. Um, I think that, that obviously you want as much spacing out there so Josh Okogie can... Um, you know, his, his kind of weaknesses offensively can be mitigated as much as possible. 
Um, and two, I really think that Josh improved as a cutter uh, under Finch last year. I mm-hmm. think that Finch kind of came up with different ways, um, kind of came up with different ways, uh, you know, for him to uh, to kind of impact the game from as a cutter, you know, placing him in different areas, whether it be the corner and cutting baseline. Um, you know, like I said earlier, with breaking down the backside of the defense with cutting from the slot. Um too, but also like I think too, he he set more cross screen, excuse me, cross paint screens for bigs. Like he's a big dude and can set good screens. Um, and I think he's also gotten much smarter as a screener and has gotten better at slipping as well, um, which I think is important. Um, and then you mentioned the offensive rebounding as well, like with more spacing and, and got more guys that are going to be able to shoot the ball. Like you know, he's, he's really going to be able to, you know, he's really, really going to be able to crash the offensive glass, uh, which I think is valuable. And like I said, you know, the NBA is all about how you can steal a possession here or there. And Josh Kogi's a guy that can help you steal two or three, you know, possessions in a game, um, just with his offensive rebounding or his tip outs or, you know, things that don't show up in the box score, like, you know, forcing two guys to, you know, to close out on him or to, to have to deal with him in the paint. Um, on a live ball rebound that, that could free up, you know, like a long offensive rebound or something like that. So, um, so yeah, I, I'm just really excited to see how Josh is used because I think that, you know, like you said, the potential for him to, to impact the game is definitely the highest it's been this year. Um, and two, you know, he, he was really good when, um, when he effectively played the four last season. Um, uh, when he played in a lineup with D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniels, and Cat, um, that was the best lineup that he was a part of last season. It was also the lineup he played the second most minutes with, and that obviously came, you know, the most under under Chris Finch because that's when those guys were healthy. Um, and, and that and that team had a plus, or that roster had a, or excuse me, lineup had a plus eight and a half net rating. Um, and was was really phenomenal defensively. It was uh, it, it was much more potent defensively than, than it was offensively, um, which you know is exactly what you're hoping for when you can put Josh out there. Um, so it's it's it, to me it's it's about you know with Josh too, but but players like Josh, it's about how can you get two of a Kogi Vanderbilt McDaniel's out there, you know, for most of the game. Or for stretches yeah. to a point where you can yeah. switch pick and rolls and, and have the other guys kind of just be aware and fly around, you know, without the ball defensively. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I think that that that's a brilliant point that you make at, at the end there, and, I, and I'd throw Pat Beverly in that group as well. That yes, for the, sure. The Beverly yep. Akoji, you know, we spoke Two about the four. this whole yeah. this yeah this whole episode that those are, those are the four guys you need to find minutes for two of them at any time. I want to see, like, I don't think that you can really survive without two of them on the court always. And I think that that's very feasible. I don't think that you need to go right out of the way or trying to bend any, any team values or team concepts to, to get, you know, two of those four out there. Uh, mine is Anthony Edwards, Jared Vanderbilt and Nas Reed. It's a, it's a combination that I want to see more of because they did play 151 minutes together last season they were they had a hundred and nine point three offensive rating and ninety nine point four defensive rating. <laughs> um and you don't find many Anthony Edwards three man and two man any lineups that have a defensive rating un- under a hundred. Like under hundred and five even. <laughs> I don't know what 
you know, was with this three-man partnership or kind of who they spent a lot of their, their minutes with. Um, but, you know, they play, that's over 34 games as well that they, they featured together in. So I want to see more of that. I think that it's a really like a, a really profitable lineup for the same reason that I spoke about before is that I think when Nas and, and Vando are together, you get a lot of rim pressure and, and roll man pressure, which is really important. And you get uh short roll passing from both of those guys. And then Anthony Edwards, if he's the Anthony Edwards that we think he will be, can kind of, you know, be the, the, What's, what's the saying? The tide that roses old boats. Like, you know, the guy that kind of carries them along offensively. Um, if he can, you know, if he can be the carrier along with Nas Reed and, and you kind of get those two to to anchor a, a bridge lineup like we spoke about, um, I think that can be really profitable. Like you said, it, it's similar to that five-man lineup that you said earlier, but if you kind of just throw Anthony Edwards in there instead of Russell and kind of, you know, run a run a semi bench, semi starter lineup with with Vando, Nas, and Edwards. I think there's a lot of profit that can be made from that, and I think that the stats from last season show that you know 151 minutes is not a massive sample size, but it's also not a small one. So, um, you know, I- I'm excited to see that one heading into next season. Yeah, to just kind of spread some propaganda here, if I may. So <laughs> it's funny because with Ricky Rubio, uh on the floor, that lineup's net rating... So overall, the lineup's net rating is about 8. With Ricky Rubio on the floor, with those three, it goes to negative (laughs) 8. And with Ricky Rubio off the floor, you know, obviously, it's smaller sample size. Like, with Ricky Rubio off the floor, which is about... I don't know, like, half the sample, probably. So it's like half with Ricky, half without Ricky. So with Ricky Rubio off... Plus 27 net rating. Jesus. 120, 120 offensive rating, 93 defensive rating. Just just hilarious. So, yeah. I mean... To have you know, a lineup with Anthony Edwards in it, you know, rookie Anthony Edwards, it has a 93, 93 points per 100 possessions, the opposition's door. That's bonkers, man. Like, this is the shit... I'm telling you, if you look through every lineup, you know, five-man, three-man, all of them, like, this is the shit Jared Vanderbilt did with every lineup. Yeah. Like every single line I have to be played in has a ridiculous defensive rating to the point where at some point it's not just advanced stats darling stuff. Like at some point you have to recognize how good he is defensively and how much he impacts team defense. Yeah, I mean it's crazy, dude. Like it's just hilarious to play around and like just like hopping upon these things. Like, I wasn't necessarily <laughs> seeking like, I wouldn't be seeking yeah. it out before we did this, but like it's just funny that like Again, it just comes back to my point that this season is not running it back. It's not. Yeah. Like, and not, and teams... not when you get not when all these players are so young, man. Like Vanderbilt's twenty two. Nas Reed is what twenty one, twenty two. Like, not Anthony Edwards just turned twenty. Like, I get that it's not running him back in the way that a contender or like a semi contender would run it back with the same lineup because everyone will get better, or at least 80% of these young guys will get better. Like, that's just what happens in the NBA. Like, most young guys get better every season, and most of these young guys are in really good position to get better and, and have a good role and have a good coach to help them grow. Like, I would be shocked if this team felt like it did last season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and again, it's like, what did Ricky Rubio do well, according to everybody? Oh, he played good defense, and he passed the ball well. Okay, well, what if you get someone who does those things more athletic and can shoot better? 
Yeah. It's not running it back. Like Torian Prince. Who does Torian Prince replace? You know, Wancho effectively. Torian Prince can actually dribble. <laughs> um he, he doesn't do a whole lot, you know, when he dribbles, but he can dribble. I mean, he's a much better shooter than Wancho. And Jared Culver, too. Like, I mean, and what's when you look at it that way of like who's taking whose spot, um, for me it's just really hard to to look at this and say, uh, same old Timberwolves, or all oh, the Timberwolves are gonna be you know, barely 500 or whatever. Like, the Timberwolves were 500 without being able to install Finch's offense, playing with Wancho, with Rubio. And it's like, when you think about things in that context, uh, it's just hard for me to really take a a negative stance of this team is not, at worst, a, play, a play-in team if they stay healthy for most of the season. You know, like yeah, you said, we yeah. expect Elo to miss 10-15 games. We expect Pat Bev to miss 10-15 games. Um, but you need those games that these guys miss to not stack up concurrently. Like if you can, if yeah, you miss 10, exactly. 15 games of D'Lo, but Beverly's playing in those games, like you can survive. And and really, it comes down to Cat. Like Cat needs to play seventy five games, probably eighty. Like that's just you, you yeah. know we talked about on off numbers and uh, and numbers with lineups. Like at the end of the day, there's one prevailing sentiment through every on off or lineup number. But if the talent Anthony Towns makes everyone good. No yeah, matter what, that, if they're that's, playing with that's Cat, totally true. Good. Totally true. Um, but but I mean, if if you want to look at a silver lining from last year and Cat missing time, you know, it's probably that a lot of these guys learned how to play with one another a little bit and right. got more experience than they ever should have playing with, you know, playing with Cat on the bench, um, and so or or at home, unfortunately. Um, so you know, I I look at that too and think that. You know, they would definitely be better than they were last season without Cat, where you're just like, I feel like I'm, you know, just being forced to sit in front of this TV and just hate myself for the next two hours, <laughs> two and a half hours. You know what I mean? Like, Well, Anthony so, Edwards is the key there. Because if Ant can be like that full-blown offensive fulcrum, like he showed at the end of last season, you, you're not going to replace what Cat does alongside Ant, but at least you can get a guy who can give you 25 a night and then kind of surround him with, with these enhanced uh, role players that we have coming back next season. So like if yeah, Ant for is sure. what, you think, what we think he could be, then that really minimizes the, the risk of losing Cat. But I still think that if you want to make the playoffs, you can't, Cat can't have a 20-game injury. There's just no way. No. I mean, and, and you expect the team to, to still, you know, be right there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, and we all say this, and in... A month it could all mean nothing you know if if ha- half the guys we we spend a lot of time talking tonight are no longer on the roster and ben simmons is on the roster but he's another guy i mean you know ben simmons is a guy who when joel and beat has missed time has played very well he's been very assertive offensively i mean people forget what did he give rudy gobert like 40 points he gave rudy gobert 40 earlier this season yeah. what was that was it what how many points or was it 50 Nah, I think it was forty. I think it was okay. 40. Whatever and it, it is, was like, on some, like it was on ridiculous efficiency. Like, yeah, like every shot at the rim, which which is Ben Simmons' thing. Like, but you know, like he they're the games, and I don't want to go there too deep into Simmons because this will go for right. three hours. This podcast, but for sure, um, Simmons is like those games from Simmons are the perfect example of why the fit with Philly was so bad because every time Embiid's out, 
he plays really well. Like, it's something about Embiid and about that dynamic on the court that plays into his kind of uh, mentality and and the the lack of scoring mentality, which is definitely still there. It's not Embiid, you know, forbidding him from scoring, but when Embiid's not there, you can see a shift that kind of, I guess, gives glimmers of hope for, you know, a, a non-Embiid-Simmons partnership. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and we don't need to get into it, but my, my main point is that, like, if you trade for Ben Simmons, if Cat does miss 20 games, like, your season is not dead. Yeah, oh, um, for sure. Like, like it would be if you if you didn't have somebody like Ben Simmons, because I think it's a lot easier if you have, you know, a one-man, kind of, kind of more like a one-man offensive engine almost in, in someone like Simmons, um, rather than trying to, you know, replace it by saying, okay, Jaden, we need more, a little more from you. Uh, you know, D'Lo, we need more, a little more from you. Nas, we need a little more from you. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just easier yeah. if you can, like, plug and play a guy that you know on any given night in December, January, February, you know, can just go out and get you 25 points and 8 assists or 25 points and 10 assists. Like, Ben Simmons can do that. Ben Simmons is a lethal scorer when, when he wants to be. But the problem is that, like, in Philadelphia, the offense was not run through Ben Simmons. And he didn't have the spacing, uh, you know, to be successful if the offense was run through him. Yeah. So, you know, and, and people say, oh, well, like, look at all these guys who are great shooters, Harris, you know, Green, Curry. Like, yeah, there's a difference between shooting percentages and effective spacing. And, like, when and you have to buy... Between, there's a difference between Carl Anthony Towns and Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid. For sure. Because Embiid posts For up sure. every single position. Every single position. And he's probably the best in the league at it. Like... They should be posting him he up. He is the best in the for he, sure, yeah. He is a beast, but that's just like the worst hindrance for, for Ben Simmons that there could be. Exactly. And so, you know, I, I think that, that that's why it's a lot different, uh, you know, if, if he's in a, in a place like Minnesota, for instance. Um, but, yeah, man. Um, yeah, I mean, just this exercise was a ton of fun. I mean, I... I just ideating different things about, you know, how different guys can fit together and, and finding matchups that work. Like that's what training camp's all about. Yeah. Um, and, th- and that's why I think it's going to be really fun to, you know, to see little, you know, the B roll footage or see the preseason. Um, I, I think for that reason, it's going to be really fun to track lineups, see kind of what two man guys play together. Um, you know, all that type of stuff and just, and just track all of it. So I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, uh, before we get out of here, I've been playing a little game the last few weeks called Take It or Leave It, just before we... So just a rapid fire, I'm going to give you a statement, and I want just you to tell me if you'll take it or leave it, all right? All right. Um, Torian Prince will play more minutes than Josh Okoji for total minutes for the season. Take it. Um, I'm going to leave it, just. Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, Pat that was Beverly close. Play, that was a great question. Pat Beverly will play more minutes than Malik Beasley. I'll leave it for sure. Leave it. Yeah, I'll assuming leave it, but assuming, I don't assuming Malik assuming Malik Beasley is a Timberwolf for the whole season, leave it. I'm gonna leave it, but I don't know if I think that ideally I would take it, but I don't think that will happen. Yeah, um, he'll he'll get hurt. A guy we haven't mentioned tonight uh, today at all, Jalen Noel will play more minutes than Jordan McLaughlin. Oh, take it for sure. Take it. I'm gonna take it. Uh, no, I'm gonna leave it. I'm gonna leave it. I think I'm um, I'm lower on Noel than you, but I think mainly I think that the team might be a little bit lower on Noel than than you. 
and I think they're a bit higher. Oh, they for I, I think they I think they are too. But I, I also think that there's going to be times when. I mean, and if he gets, and if Beasley gets traded, Noah's going to play more minutes for sure. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, last two, John McLaughlin will play more than thirty-five games. Play in more than thirty-five games. Yeah, like just just feature in more than thirty-five. Take it, um, run with it, hide it under my pillow. <laughs> uh, I'm going to take it as well. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt will start more than thirty-five games. Jared Vanderbilt start more than thirty-five games. Yeah. Are there? 35 games in an NBA season. <laughs> I just, I'm still worried that, take that it. there's going to take be, it because take that, it. that's, that's, you know, if Simmons, if Simmons is a Timberwolf, that's immediately a zero from here for him. Like he's not going to start a game. I, I don't, I mean, I, I honestly don't agree with that because right, Simmons that's a story for another day. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like that would be a, I don't know with Kat and Anthony Edwards. I feel like, you could make that work. Yeah, um, I'm gonna, but, I'm gonna take it. I think that, that yeah, I think you're right. Vanderbilt will start more than 35 games, and I'm not even that confident that the team and, gets Ben Simmons. So, and I was I gonna say, and just for everybody's mental health, uh, for my own mental health, I've been operating under the assumption that, that Ben Simmons is not going to be on the Timberwolves. Um, yeah, the safest way to so, always, always expect nothing from the Timberwolves, and you can never be disappointed. That's exactly says, right, baby. And I'll be disappointed game one of the season. Don't worry. <laughs> we'll see. Um, we'll see. Jack, Jack, have you got anything to plug before we get out of here? We've, it's been a long podcast, but it's been a good one. No, I've had a lot of fun. We haven't we haven't talked in, in uh, sadly, probably Weeks, close man. to a month and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, the biggest thing that I just want to plug, um, you know, I, I really did not plan this year to, to stop doing pretty much all Wolves coverage um, in the summer. Um, but admittedly, I was really burnt out from from Wolves stuff um, mm-hmm. and needed another outlet. And I watched every Lynx game last year thinking that that I could get into it this year um, and, and have gotten into it and, and have fallen in love with, with just the WNBA um, it, it, just because it, it's such a fun league. And, um, and there's only 12 teams, so you kind of get to – get to know you know how each team plays and, and all that um, more quickly which is fun which I think allows you to kind of immerse yourself in it more quickly um, so if, if there's anything I can plug it's that it's the links as a franchise in general um, you know please watch Sylvia Fowles if you're a fan of any type of post game um, <laughs> at all um, she's the most impressive post player I've ever seen in person in my entire life um, she she's like I said, the greatest center in the history of women's basketball, defensive player of the year this year. Um, and just the things she does for her teammates are awesome. So my, my plug is just the links. Um, make an effort to watch a game, um, get to a game. Tickets are very cheap. Um, it, it's a really fun experience. The energy at Target Center is amazing. Um, in my opinion, Target Center has probably one of the two or three best crowds in the WNBA. Um which is great. Um, and, and, and when the playoffs roll around, um, that, that place is going to be rocking. It's going to be a ton of fun. So, so that's my plug. Um, I'll, I'll probably have something on, on aerial powers, um, this, this upcoming week, um, for Canis. Um, and then, and then also might have something that's just kind of a, you know, what can, what's one thing from, from every single player on the team to watch out for, you know, as they kind of get into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. 
so that's that's what I've got going on at Canis. Um, it's been an, it's been an awesome summer with with Neil and Leo, um, you know, covering covering the links and 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 hopefully um, hopefully you know the 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 coverage that we do will at least get you know 20 30 40 50 60 100 200 more people to, to at least watch one links game because that's what it's all about once once you watch it i promise you um if you watch a couple games you're, you're really going to enjoy it um if, if you give it a try so amen so yeah man amen uh amen Support and it, it all and the other can't... and the other thing yep. that i will say too it does not it will not conflict whatsoever with with the nba season um so you know it's a it'll it'll be a great tune up for you if you're just craving basketball prior to the wolves starting up because i promise you if you're a basketball diehard and and you say you're a basketball diehard you will love the wnba absolutely i i completely agree with that and and can second that um so follow jack over at tanis hoopers uh read his stuff read lean stuff get into it uh Support him and the links. Support me over at houseandgrouse.substack.com. Read Timberwolves stuff, read Link stuff, and I will see all of you guys next week. Thanks, Jack. Thank you, man.